personnel please report to the quarantine zone. This is not a test. A new episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee is about to begin. Welcome, friends, to another thrilling episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee. I'm your moderator, Mark Mernan, and I am joined once again by the ineffable Wes Laver, pastor of Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, and the inestimable Andrew Jacobson, pastor of Sand Harbor Presbyterian Church in Jupiter. And gentlemen, good to be back with you. Yes. What is ineffable? What is inestimable? I, they sounded great. They do. They do yeah. sound good. Yeah, they're very, my ego thanks you. You're very welcome. Not that we're ego-driven by anything. I'll Google after and I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> do that. <laughs> At least you're not Googling now. We're trying to avoid the big down. words here. You got the big we'll words. get them out in the beginning and that would we'll just get... Spew them yeah. out later. And we are once more visiting the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Mm-hmm. We did last week, we did an introduction and question one, what is the chief end of man? Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And oh, to awesome. enjoy Him forever. And to oh, it's, it's an infinitive. So I tell my kids, I it's an don't forget the infinitive. And to enjoy Him forever. And now questions two and number th- questions two and three. What rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? And question three. What do the Scriptures principally teach? <laughs> so the reason Mark is singing that is because he's working through memorizing the Westminster Shorter Catechism as he prepares for ordination trials in the PCA. Ta-da. And I told him the best way to memorize them is to listen to them in Bruce Benedict, music form. In music form. And I found some. I he told. did. He sold them to me, Bruce Benedict. So, it was better than the Sesame Street version. Yeah. I have to say that singing along with Big Bird has never been one of my favorite. Question one. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> We're now on question two. Ah, ah, ah. All right, so question two and three, what rule has God given us to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? And what do the scriptures, the, the third question answers the second in part. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are the answers? What, what rule has God given and what do they teach? So question, I'll do question two. I'll give the answer. So what rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Which is directly exactly. flowing from question one. Question one. We're to glorify God. Well, how do we And to out? enjoy him. Yes, how do we find that out? How do we determine that? Well, the answer is the Word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. So that's the answer to question two. And then, Wes, what, what do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach. Yes. Uh, all that man. Sorry. You look it up. <laughs> what man is to believe? It's been a while since God. ordination, right? And what duty okay. God requires of man. Yes, there. There you go. What man is con- to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man? Well, the first the first question then addresses the source of our information, the source of revelation. Yep. Correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So what rule and how is it that we... And what is it then? The Word of God... Which is contained. ...in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament is one of the rules? Mm-mm. It is, it's a notice of exclusivity, isn't it? The only yep. rule. The to only rule. Yes, and, and that's important to, to note that because we, we live in a society at a time and a place in which people find that the only rule that's to direct them how they might live a life of, of joyfulness and whatever is whatever their subjective feelings yeah. feel in, right. in the moment. That's what directs us, what I feel most deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another way that these questions, questions one, two and three uh, get worded and 
misconstrued by uh, some people. I'm just like throwing around out, throwing it out here. Is sort of this idea of like, what is God's will for my life? Okay. What is God's will sure. for my life? And how do they, I know? How yeah. am I supposed to know what God wants me to do? Do I marry this one? Yeah. Do I take that yeah, job? Yeah. Right. I got okay. a pink shirt, red shirt. I can't decide. God, <laughs> yeah. what do you want from me? Ask um, your wife. <laughs> no, but so, what is God's will for my life? And we have two two different aspects of God's will: the hidden will and the revealed will. Right. Okay. And so, if you think about God's will for human beings, it's the same question as what is the purpose for which you were created. So God's will for your life is that you would glorify and enjoy him. And then question two, how do you do that? And then Deuteronomy 29, 29, it's to do the word of the law, to do God's word. And so through living out the living and abiding word of God, we are enacting and carrying out God's will for our lives. And that's what we are to concern ourselves with. And in doing that, we are thus glorifying and enjoying him. Mm-hmm. And that that is found in one location. What's uh, yes, the only, exclusively yeah. in the Word of God, exclusively. Now, that's that's also very important here. <laughs> but there, I mean, there is there is natural. I mean, and I, I think our our text that we're working from, of mm-hmm. course, is the Williamson. Um, uh, G.I. Williamson's book, which shorter, is shorter the Westminster Catechism. Shorter Catechism for study class. For study class. Yeah, and this, the, I mean, he brings out, of course, the Psalm 19, the uh, natural revelation, the power of natural revelation. There are things we can know generally about God. Mm-hmm. And then there are things, however, that we cannot know specifically about God. Which is why we, we needed God to reveal himself to us. Right. Because the information that we need to know for how to live a life that glorifies yeah. God... We could not come up with on our own. The, the we couldn't reason yeah. it from our intellect. We couldn't reason it from our skills, our observation of the external world. It had to be revealed to us. And why is that? Because what has impeded man's ability to to intuitively know God as creator? I mean, I'd say, I'd say two things. One is that we're finite. We, okay. we just have limited capacity. All okay. of our faculties are, are limited to an extent. And the other is sinfulness. I mean, the noet, what they call the noetic yeah, effect of yeah, sin, sin, which is clouded, clouded our, uh, and impeded our different faculties. It has, okay. in fact, enslaved them to sin. So we need God to reveal Himself to us. We need the Spirit to illuminate our minds so that we understand what He's revealed. Because when we ask the question, "Okay, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever," well, what does it look like? Yeah. to glorify him. What does it look like to enjoy him yeah. appropriately? Do I just make that up? Right. And that's why it uses the word rule. It's the only rule. It's The scriptures are the measuring rod. Is this a good way to glorify God or is it not? Well, does it right. line up with the scriptures? Yeah. If it does, then we know this is a proper way to glorify God. If it does not, then we know that this would not glorify God. And, and you know, we think about that to bring it in connection with our modern culture is would it glorify God for me to you know, decide that I'm not going to marry this person, but I'm yeah. going to move in with them, right. and we're going to uh, functionally enjoy all the aspects of marriage without embracing the covenant and responsibility and commitment of marriage. And the answer is no, that does not glorify God, because his word explicitly rejects that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, you know, so with these decisions that we make, you know, let's not even talk about the, like, the silly little ones, um, but big decisions, right? Yeah. Uh, should I take this job? Should I move to this location? 
Is this God's will for my life? Should I devote my yeah. life to a particular career? Yeah. Uh, I mean, following these are important decisions. And if you're choosing between two, you have two options. Um, and and your part in the matter is to glorify God, and it's an amoral decision. Sure. Meaning that God's word, you're not violating right. the commands of Scripture by choosing one or over the other. Um, in, in both of them, you can glorify God. You can be a faithful Christian and do the word of God and enact, live out his will. Sure. Then that's what matters. And so the first part of Deuteronomy 29, 29 is that there are things that are hidden from us. So there are things that got, belong to God that are, that are hidden from us, but that which is revealed, the word, is for us and for our children. So what says Deuteronomy 29, 29. So... That which is hidden from us, we don't necessarily need to know. Sure. But in the future, looking back, and, and you say, man, was it God's will that I married the person that I married? The answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, because when it comes to the hidden will of God, if, if it was within God's foreordained plan for your life, and, and we're not talking about that which is in Scripture, but right. we're talking about amoral decisions, then it was God's will for you. And so then your calling then is to do the word, to be a faithful Christian where he has put you. In other words, in other words, the, the scripture is not an exhaustive revelation mm -hmm. of God or his will, but it is a comprehensive, would that be a good phrase for it? Not exhaustive, but comprehensive in that we know, we know it has everything we need for faith and godliness, First Peter. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, Maybe a more appropriate word would be it's not exhaustive, but it is sufficient. Sufficient. Mm -hmm. the Sufficiency. Things, and, and that's a that's kind of a key term when it comes to speaking the scriptures. We right. say the scriptures are sufficient in that they don't tell us everything. Right. They don't tell us, you know, about certain fields of study, maybe science or, mm -hmm. or astrology or whatnot. But what God desires us to know, to live the life in which we can glorify and enjoy him, he has given us in the scriptures. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The scriptures, it's a first edition book. There will be yeah. no second edition. You know, an author... That's actually second Peter. I quoted The author Peter. writes a book, and uh, just looking at uh, one, you know, the book Desiring God by John Piper. It's, it has a number of editions. Well, he first published it in the 80s, and then 10, 15, so many years later, he you know, adds another chapter because his thought has sure. developed Evolved, on yeah. that. Well, the scriptures are never going to need a second edition. Because he's a God. Be I no am appendix. God. I do not change. He exactly. is immutable. Yep. And everything we need to know, he has He has laid in there for us. So even with the word of God as it is, it is sourced in the infinite being of God, his word has uh, attributes. Correct? Absolutely. So the attributes I think we're discussing here, we address briefly one of them, sufficiency. Clarity. Infallibility and clarity are the three attributes mm -hmm. of Scripture that we're discussing. There, are, I think, there's necessity. Mm -hmm. There's several more yep. uh, in the SCAN uh, acronym, but I mean, clarity, sufficiency, infallibility. Mm -hmm. What does it mean when the Bible is infallible versus just a little sidetrack, inerrant? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, I'll take, I'll I, take. I think in, in essence, when you when you get down to brass tacks, they mean the same thing. Yeah. Infallible and error. Infallible meaning that they're without error. That, that when God speaks, he speaks infallibly without falsifying anything. Mm -hmm. I, inerrancy, I would just say it's the same thing. Like all of its parts and all of its statements, all of its sections are not erring. 
I, I think that I think the infallibility is that it, it, it speaks to his perfection. Inerrancy speaks to no error. Uh, infallibility means no no inerrancy, no intent to deceive. One of them has an int- there's no intent to deceive, but infallibility is the more corp- more the the more comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Um, delineation of that. Now, I've always just heard them put together. It's infallible yeah. and inerrant. But there is a distinction. I just don't remember what the heck it was. Yeah. You think I would have prepared for that? No, like, that's all right. I mean, what but is it, it means. Then? Yeah. It, what it means. What does it mean? Inerrancy. Um, it could be even the the fine points of, of grammatical structure or however you want to put it, get down to the details of that. But when we talk about inerrancy, what we have to understand, we're talking about the original. Right, autographs. The original right. autographs. The original composition. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and so there's no need to get caught up. Uh, for those of you that may be um, buffs on uh, how, how the scriptures have been handed down right. and translated and all these different things, um, there's no reason to get caught up when it comes to inerrancy on the translations. Because when we talk about inerrancy, entirely perfect to the taught and diddle, or um, so Tot there's no, yeah, there you go. There's no, <laughs> sorry, I'm out of it today. There's no um, grammatical or any error within it, the structure of the word. Right. And so that would be referring specifically to the original composition. But that's because we have, and we want our congregations to be, uh, to have confidence mm-hmm. in the scriptures, and particularly in the particular uh, version or translation that they have. And we have very good mm-hmm. translations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the things I've discovered about textual criticism is that, and really in contradiction to what someone like Bart Ehrman may say, uh, of thousands upon hundreds of thousands of variants, well, we know all the variants, mm-hmm. and we know them because we have so many transcripts. We have mm-hmm. so many uh, parchments, fragments, etc. that that really the infallibility question or the uh, the variant question is really a non a non issue. And it's interesting when you think of the concept of inerrancy. Either you believe that the scriptures are inerrant and therefore you must accept them, believe them, obey them, or you functionally believe that you're inerrant and that the scriptures need to submit to your right. inerrant ability to to determine which parts are acceptable and which parts are you know rejectable. Yeah. And I think that that's what many people do today is is they they come to the scriptures and it's kind of like an a la carte. Mm-hmm. Buffet line. Take what you like, leave Take the rest. Like, leave, Super, leave uh, the supermarket uh, prop yes. philosophy. Yeah. And, and so many people look at the scriptures and say, okay, this part kind of supports my the latest trend of, of social justice ideas. Uh, and this part goes against the latest trend in feminism. And so I'm going to take this part and throw out that part. Yeah. And that's exactly what question two is saying you, you should not do. Yeah. The Word of God, which is contained in the scriptures, all the scriptures, yeah. all the New Testament is meant to direct. And I think, so let's move on to the next attribute or one of the next clarity. clarity. So when we talk about trusting our Bibles, this would be the one that I'd lean on. Um, that we're talking, when we talk about the word of God being clear, that is, it is for everything that is essential to Christian faith and practice, the scriptures are clear on. Okay. Um, that does not mean that every every sentence in the word of god you're going to read it and immediately understand what it's right. saying but it does mean that that which is essential to christian faith and practice the bible is clear as you read it now so for example um i was just in the end of first peter 
uh, beginning of First Peter chapter four, and uh, the sorry, end of First Peter chapter three, and that's the text where uh, Jesus going preaching to or proclaiming to uh, the the spirits that are in prison. It's not a very clear text right. in terms of just reading it and immediately understanding what it's saying. Um, so when we talk about clarity, that we can have full confidence in God's word, that everything that is essential for our Christian faith and practice, it is clear on. Mm-hmm. And if we have questions about a particular verse, mm-hmm. Scripture, the what is it, the analogy of Scripture says we go to other Scripture where it is clearer. Yep. So it begs a question or asks a question, why do we need pastors? Why did you guys study so hard? Why am I going through all this? Why do we need pastors? I mean, if Scripture is clear, why do we need teachers? I think that's a classic case of it's not an either or. It's a both and. Okay. It's not either we can't understand this and therefore we need like a, a high priesthood mm-hmm. that has in, you know knowledge and insight that we don't to give it to us. Or we can understand it we don't need them. Yeah. I think it's a both end. The scriptures say both. You should study the scripture for yourself. You should understand. You should meditate on them day and night. But also, God has gifted certain people. Ephesians. Yeah, Ephesians. Certain people have spiritual gifts in which they're able to uh, exercise the gift of teaching in a way that doesn't detract from you, but it adds it adds to you. Yeah. Four twelve, Ephesians four twelve, to equip the saints. Four eleven, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. I think a perfect example is this: is Acts seventeen when Paul goes to Berea. So Paul Berea. teaches, he informs them of things, and these things are they're making connections between the Old Testament mm-hmm. and what has happened in the ministry of Christ, and they receive them with eagerness, but right. they test them according to the scriptures. And when they discover that what Paul is saying lines up with Scripture, they embrace it with all that much more uh, fervor and he, passion. He preaches, he commends them to the Scriptures, they go to the Scriptures, which then commend them back to Paul as affirming yes. what he has said. Yeah, so that it's this wonderful, mm. healthy feedback loop. Yeah. Because I think, honestly, it, it, if someone's Christian life is lived just by osmosis of what a teacher says, right. you know, the podcast preacher or even your local church preacher, if yeah. that's all it is, that, that that is not very healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, and all of us have. I'm sorry. All of us have had the experience of discipling, which is what an older, a more mature believer coming alongside a younger believer, and just going through the scriptures with them to affirm them and to a- answer mm-hmm. questions. Because while it's clear, there are still some because of the noetic effect of sin, still some things that may be unclear, or I'm just not reading it correctly, or I'm you know kidding myself. Yeah, I mean a, a part of the need. There's great, I mean, when you talk about the need for pastors, um, there's all sorts of other stuff when we talk about worship, et cetera, uh, enacting the covenant renewal worship and, and the sacraments. There's great detail we could go into sure. for the need of, of pastors aside from just explaining the scriptures alone. But when it comes to explaining the scriptures, a big part of what the pastor does is actually in come alongside them and simply encourage them to be Bereans, to be in the word, to be that voice of encouragement and exhortation that they would be doing this on their own. That And so when you talk about discipleship, you can't decide, it's, you know, if you're discipling someone, right, and you're, you're taking them through scripture uh, and your goal is to get them to understand the Bible. Right. You're not going to be able to accomplish that if they don't read the six days that you're not meeting with them, but the one day that you do meet with them, they breeze through it right on the There's an obligation. Over. To yeah. 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 And so 
there's not going to be fruit from that unless they are, are reading on their own. And so a part of it is simply just coming alongside and encouraging them to be brands. Exactly. So, so we've, we've, we've addressed the issue of well, no, thoroughly or comprehensively, nope. but sufficiently. We've covered <laughs> Maybe. What, the, what, the, what rule God has given. Yeah. Let's address what do the scriptures principally teach. And this is going to be a springboard into the rest of the catechism. Yes, exactly. Because it, the way the question is actually answered. Right divides up the the two mass sections and the, and the two sections are mm-hmm. what man is to believe mm-hmm. concerning god and what duty god requires of man so man is scripture what man what we're to believe yeah. and what we are to do yeah. yep our doctrine and our duty doctrine and duty i yes. like that and so the, the so after question three it'll get into uh character of god and then it'll start even going further into some of like the historical things like what happened in the garden and the fall and Christ the Redeemer. And then it'll get into like the Ten Commandments, the uh, Lord's Prayer, and the, um, what, what's the other one? Ten Commandments, Lord's Prayer, Sacraments. Sacraments, of grace, yeah. Those kind of things okay. that we're supposed to be devoted to. And so, yeah, so it basically just lays out the two broad categories, not just of the catechism, but of the scriptures. That God has revealed... Yeah himself one to reveal himself to right. show us who he is so we right. can know him and then two how we are to live in light of who he is as as believers i mean since we've trusted everything to christ as believers why am i obligated to do something wow why well, I, what what can i just can i just live my life what is it uh, freedom from sin oh what blessed condition live as i want yeah, and still so, have remission. Still have remission. <laughs> so it's the same question in uh, Romans five and six um, that Paul answers, and it's should we go on sinning? No, yeah. by no means. We've died to sin. We've died to sin, and so uh, I think when that question gets asked, it automatically reflects the condition of the human heart. <laughs> That's the, the angle that we want to take. teach. Teach me your doctrine, but don't tell me about my duty. Yeah. But well, um, even that, based off of what God reveals about himself, right. yeah, when he shows forth his character as um, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, when the heart truly sees that and grasps that, right. it, exactly. it melts rebellion and uh, a desire to just kind of plant our feet and say, I'm not going to do what you say. Yeah. And instead, it transforms us to say, you know, I want to honor that God. See, there, there is, this is the difference between a believer who reads and is, is transformed and someone who reads and, and finds it. Those of us who love Christ want to obey. Yeah, yeah exactly. The, the Bible doesn't have us do our duty because I said so. It's right. not like a because I said right. so. There's, there's an element to that. God is our authority. Right. And we need to honor him. But it's God shows himself to be so delightful, so... Uh, awe-inspiring such a treasure that we want to yeah obey yeah there's this um yeah so there's this there's this book i've been reading on worship and the the author he goes into sort of these misunderstandings on on christian christian worship and he says that the the way that the reformed world often misunderstands it is that they have this view of Worship is exclusively about us coming and praising God and glorifying God, and we're giving to God. And then he 
he breaks this down. He says, well, really, at its core, this is a form of Pelagianism. It's hmm. saying that we're coming and there's something good in us and we can offer this to God. Sure. We, that, that God needs us to come and praise him and worship him because he needs us and we have the ability to, to give him more glory. And he, he breaks the sun. He says, well, no. In fact, the way in which we glorify God is by getting from God and then responding. Yeah. It's getting It is response. the response. Yeah. It is the response out of love rather than the, the, the work out of obligation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you see how this correlates to the Christian life when it comes to the duty that God requires of man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's getting the gospel and responding. Um, and what I think one thing that I, it took me so many years to understand in my Christian life, years where I, I didn't get this, and, and when I really started to understand this, it changed things for me. It's this simple reality that God loves us, <laughs> that God actually wants us Oh, come on. It can't be that simple. Yeah, and, come and on. And so God, so he, everything that he's given us, all of these things, they're not burdensome. No. They're actually for our good, right? When God tells us, when he gives us the Ten Commandments, and you look at the Ten Commandments, these things affect those around us. They affect loved ones. Like, think about adultery, for example. They affect our families. They affect uh, communities, especially back when there was more of a sense of communal living. Um, They have a a negative impact, not only on us, on those around us, and on our communities as a whole. And God's given us his word. All of that he's given us for our good, not just that he would receive more glory from us, but it's actually also a part of that is that we get joy, that we get joy and we get the satisfaction in him through abiding by his word. And so I think that for me, that was something that it took so long for me to get that. It's like these commands, like, and I knew it, they weren't burdensome that they were meant, but to really understand that, that this is actually God's love. This is his grace that he would give us his law. And when we get that, then maybe we can understand when it's when God gives us the duty he requires of us, it's actually for us. Yeah. And that's, uh, to, to your point, um, the order of these is important. Mm. Scriptures principally teach first mm. what man is to believe concerning God. There we are. And what duty God requires of man. First, through the prism of understanding God's character, his who he is and his work, what he has done for us. Then we view our duty, which flows from a God yeah. who is who he is and who has done what he has done for us. For his commandments are not burdensome. Exactly. Exactly. Therefore, again, the psalmist, I mean, Psalm 119 mm. is a song, a yes. love song yeah. to the law in one yeah. sense. And the law should never be severed from mm. the God who wrote the law. A law is a reflection of God's character, but the psalmist, looking at the law, knowing it comes from a God whose character is yeah. what it is, says, these are good. I run in the path of your commandments, for they are my joy. And, and we have lost that. Yeah. Duty is a harsh, negative yeah. word in, yeah. our, in our modern dictionaries. And yet it was the glorious. I, I mean, for, for, for millennia, duty was seen as a great privilege. Yes, It was a privilege to serve your king. It was mm-hmm. a privilege to... Uh, be in the household of the of the le- of your sovereign. But we're in the day and age of autonomous mm. individuals yes. who have the free the freedom to express themselves however they want, and duty imposes obligation from Correct. the outside, Correct. and that's not a good thing. 
and this like one way that I see this and I hate it oh. is when people tell us how you really feel. People say <laughs> that like there needs to be this this balance of the law and the gospel, oh. right? That we need to have this. Come it's on. it's given the law, but but given the gospel yeah. and, and balance. As it if out. there's but they're making a false yeah. dichotomy. Exactly. Make sure you have you know a balanced ledger of yeah, those two things. That's right. And it's it's you're asking the wrong questions. You're starting at the wrong places. Oh no. Because God's law it should be our delight. God's law is good news. It's gospel to us. Yeah. And and when you start with this idea of balance between law and gospel. You're saying that the law is bad, right? And it's what you're really saying is that there needs to be a balance of, of the good, the bad, the harsh, and the ugly, <laughs> and that which is good and joyful, and we can all delight in. Yeah. And and it's the wrong question. It's yeah. the, it's the wrong understanding. It's a denial. It's a denial of the beauty of chapter yeah. of uh, yeah. Psalm 119. There's a difference between the law and the gospel. Yeah. But we shouldn't make that difference so prominent mm-hmm. that we act as if these are competing enemies. Yep. That's not good. Yep. When I say law is gospel, I'm just etym- etymologically like, it's good news. Yes. It's yep. good yes. news. Yeah. yeah, I think this question as well is helpful in, it shows the, it, it gives us a proper understanding of what the scriptures are designed for and what they're not designed for. Right. The scriptures are not designed to tell us how to make a mm. vaccine for COVID-19. Right. <laughs> they're not sufficient for that. They that is, that is in First COVID chapter four. That's what, yeah, yeah. What, how do you pronounce it? P F I V. Pfizer. Yeah, that's what Pfizer's. For. Yeah. No, the scriptures teach us or to believe concerning God, right. and, and what's our duty. The Bible does not teach us everything, but, and I love what Williamson says. The Bible does have something to say about everything. It does. It doesn't teach us everything, but it has something to say about everything because everything in God's universe is related to God, and everything's relationship to God is the most important thing about that thing. And that's where in a God-centered worldview, when you have that type of worldview, you actually see things more rightly, more appropriately than those who deny the existence of God at all. Because they've denied the most important being in the universe and the most important connection we're to make when we understand yeah. anything. So part of the part of the process of removing the the darkness of, of the scales falling from our eyes is seeing things more clearly and the way we sing the see things more clearly, more truly is through the lens of scripture. Yes. It's like when you when you look at uh, a spider web. When you first see, you come across a spider web, you, you'd see like maybe one kind of line. I only find spider webs when I'm walking through them. That's yeah. really the only way I see but them. But you see just kind of one line. You think it's this just detached individual line hanging. But then you step back and you can actually see the that it is part pattern. of a whole interconnected web. I hate spiders. Yes. Okay. But just follow the illustration okay, here. All right, okay. In its appropriate direction. And so the, <laughs> the point with that is that's what a, a God-centered worldview does for you is it shows how every part and parcel of life, every philosophical idea every you know societal yep. thing mm. is connected to god in some way it fi- it finds its fulfillment yep. politics science family mm. economics yeah. uh, the church worship all these things find their ultimate relationship to god and we need to know what that is and so the scriptures give us at least they help us get closer to a 2020 vision in terms of how we're to see and live life well, I think we have not exhausted, but we've given sufficient answers to questions two and three. What do the scriptures principally teach? What is the only rule uh, by which we might, got, what, what is it, glorify and to enjoy him? Mm-hmm. And what do the scriptures principally teach? So questions two and three. We will be back on our next episode discussing question four. But in the meantime, if you like what you're hearing here, please hit subscribe. Someday we'll come out with some merch. 
Find a way to make <laughs> some money out of all this yeah, work. T-shirts, yeah. Presbyterians in quarantine. Thank you for listening again. On behalf of Wes Lover and Andrew Jacobson, I'm your moderator, Mark Bernan. Join us again next week for Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee. This episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee is now over. You may now exit the quarantine zone.